0: Welcome to the Trilogy of Terror podcast. and welcome to the very first episode of the Trilogy of Terror podcast. I'm Gore Blimey, and each month I'll be looking at three horror films which all share the same director. They could be classics, recent releases, trashy, shocking, highbrow, or downright weird, and sometimes, perhaps, even frightening. No, seriously, it won't all be sneering at the bad stuff. There will be some proper horror movies along the way too. This episode, the three movies are all the work of Lamberto Barva, son of hugely influential Italian horror director Mario Barva. He started his career assisting his father on films like Planet of the Vampires from 1965 before becoming assistant director on some of Barva Senior's more famous films like Kill Baby Kill, Hatchet for the Honeymoon, Bay of Blood and Lisa and the Devil, as well as working on other movies like Inferno, Tenebrae and Cannibal Holocaust. The first film he directed solo was Macabre from 1980, which we'll be looking at in a moment. He followed this up with another horror thriller, A Blade in the Dark, which was originally meant to be a four-part TV series, plus an action film and something involving a mutated octopus shark creature on a killing spree. Let's be generous and call it a Jaws homage. In 1985, he directed perhaps his most well-known film, Demons, which is the second film we'll be looking at, followed by Demons 2 a year later. These were a collaboration with Dario Argento, who co-wrote and produced them both. The slightly surreal giallo-style thriller, Delirium, Photos of Joya, came a year later in 1987, and that's the third and final film discussed in this episode. Since then, he has continued to direct more horror movies and thrillers, though mostly aimed at the television market. But he's still very much around. The Trilogy of Terror Podcast The first film in our thrilling threesome is Macabre from 1980. Before I start, I will say I don't normally do spoilers, but to be honest, it's hard to avoid revealing the one in this film, so apologies in advance. Though in fairness, if you've seen the film's cover, the DVD title screen or the trailer, you've already seen the surprise reveal anyway. When we first meet Jane, she's a married woman who wears fancy 80s clothes, walks like an American footballer, and is having an affair with a man called Fred, who I like to call Fred the Head and not just because of his apparent erotic talents. They have regular rendezvous at Fred's opulent apartment in a boarding house run by a young, blind man called Robert and his mother. A woman so overbearing she treats him like a child, even bathing him in front of visitors. Meanwhile, Jane's young daughter is a girl at that difficult age, where she likes to have her mother's attention all to herself, she likes her own way, and she likes to act out her psycho-killer tendencies by drowning her little brother in the bath. We later see her cooking up a homemade soup with fresh vegetables, herbs and dead person's earlobes in it, so it's probably safe to say she has a few issues. Hearing about the drowning incident causes mum Jane to grab her car keys and her lover and rush towards home. Except, along the way, they crash the car. Fred gets horribly decapitated and Jane ends up in a mental hospital. Now, I'm not entirely sure how long she's there, but when she eventually returns to the boarding house, we find Robert's mother has died and there are dried up flowers in the vases in Fred's flat. But, rather strangely, the fridge is still full of juicy fresh meat. A magic fridge? Or a hint at things to come, maybe? Unpacking and tidying up the apartment, Jane gets out a homemade shrine to Fred, with his photo taped to it, along with a clump of thick curly hairs, let's just hope that's his moustache, his visa card, some fag ends, a razor blade, and various other treasured memories of their romance. She then lights up a candelabra and is heard moaning and writhing around on the bed with a mystery lover. Poor, romantically inexperienced and sexually repressed Robert Downstairs now ends up listening to the loud sex noises while sitting alone in the dark, vigorously polishing his horn. Oh, I forgot to mention, he repairs brass musical instruments for a living now. Things are not helped by Jane's unsubtle flirting with him, blowing hot and cold, so to speak. In one scene, she even calls him into the bathroom while she's naked and soaping up in the tub. Which did remind me of that old joke, where a woman in the bath is interrupted by someone who says he's the blind man. Tweet me if you've not heard it. Come to think of it, bathtubs do seem to feature an awful lot in this film, in at least four significant scenes. Any theories about what they're meant to symbolise? Anyway, back to the plot. Jane demonstrates to us how to get a head in Italian horror cinema. I wonder why her little kitchen has an industrial sized rotisserie oven in it. And the director gives us a surprise ending with a bit of bite. Basically, if you haven't already worked it out, Macabre is a film where a woman has a passionate love affair with a corpse's head she keeps in the freezer. And being an Italian horror from the 80s, it has the usual badly dubbed voices but with the added bonus of amusing Southern American accents. It's mostly competently acted and the horror effects, particularly the fake head, are pretty good. The first full frontal nudity in the film is male, which is quite a surprise. The camera work is okay, there are some experimental shots that don't quite work, and a few external scenes in New Orleans are a bit shaky and look like they were done in a bit of a rush, as if someone were trying to avoid filming permits or something, I don't know. The story might seem a bit far-fetched, but it does follow a kind of logic, and I like that the real sicko in this isn't the one you'd normally expect. Even if you don't take any of it too seriously, Macabre is still interesting, and certainly entertaining, and I do think it's worth at least a one-off watch. Next up is Demons from 1985. In the Berlin Metro, a sinister-looking man in a metallic Phantom of the Opera-style mask hands out free tickets for an unnamed film, and a mixture of people end up at the large and recently reopened Metropole Theatre. When one character goes to the toilet feeling unwell, events in the cinema start to echo those in the horror movie being shown, as characters are turned into bloodthirsty demons and attack the others. With the exits blocked up and the demon possession spreading rapidly, how will the survivors escape and survive? Demons is a great example of an Italian horror film of the 1980s, with overdubbed voices, high levels of violence and gore, and striking use of sound and visuals. There is an interesting use of strong primary colour filters in certain scenes, reminiscent of the work of Mario Bava, the director's father. In addition, it has a strong rock soundtrack featuring some surprisingly big names, which is used to great dramatic effect. And, of course, the throbbing, pounding score of Claudio Simonetti of Goblin, which includes one of my all-time favourite movie themes. This film packs in a large number of creative gore sequences and set pieces, all done using practical effects, which still look surprisingly good for a film of this age. Along with the blood and guts, this includes the iconic and creepy image of the demons walking up the stairs towards the camera with their glowing eyes. Even the movie within a movie is a lot more atmospheric and scary than it needs to be, though the dialogue in that is much more on the cheesy side. We even get a reference to Nostradamus and the discovery of Neptune in Uranus. The Metropole Theatre itself provides a great atmospheric setting, with a sense of brightly lit neon modernism in the foyer, oppressive darkness in the auditorium and rotting decay in the hidden back rooms. The toilets have to have the most revoltingly ugly decor I've ever seen in a bathroom, and I've lived in a house with an avocado suite before. There's a really oppressive feeling of dread when the characters realise they're trapped inside. However, the few scenes where the action is taken outside the building – the young punk snorting coke in a car and the final scenes – They feel less effective and interesting to me. In fact, the young punks don't really add much to the goings-on, apart from the girl whose right boob seems to have problems staying inside a top. As with other Italian horror films of this period, it does have its moments of far-fetched daftness. Someone gets to roar around the theatre on a motorbike, hacking up demons willy-nilly with the samurai sword, and at another point, a helicopter literally drops from the sky into the auditorium. But... If you just go with it, it really is a gory, fun trip, lightened up with the occasional moments of cheesiness. The acting performances are pretty good, there's a bizarre mix of mostly likeable characters, and I really like how the possessed demons are all recognisable as people we know from earlier in the film. The pace flags slightly in the middle, but it never lets you get bored. And whatever you do, don't switch off the film when the closing credits start to roll. There is one final surprise afterwards which completely flips the tone of the ending. The film spawned a whole list of sequels, though most appear to be unrelated films that just stuck the name on. Lamberto Bava put out an official sequel a year after this one, with more of the same gory fun and a slightly higher cheese factor. And if you're interested in knowing my thoughts about that, there will be a mini-episode on the Trilogy of Terror podcast Facebook page. And if you check that out, please remember to click like on the page. Going back to Demons, it's a classic example of 80s Italian horror, and a movie I fell in love with when I first rented a copy on VHS as a teenager. Watching it as an adult all these years later, I think it still holds up well. And even if I ignore any nostalgia-based bias I might have, I would still class it as one of my favourites. And now the final film in our triple feature is *Delirium: Photos of Joya, from 1987. Joya, or Gloria as she's referred to in the English language dubbed version for some reason, is a former glamour model with a couple of big assets, one of which is ownership of a glossy men's magazine. Her life is so glamorous, it's filled with power suit shoulder pads, big hair, a luxury house and, apparently, an aversion to keeping her clothes on for longer than a few minutes. A killer starts murdering the cover models and sending Gloria photos of the victims' bodies taken in front of a wall-sized picture of her. In the meantime, a woman called Flora wants to buy out the magazine. Gloria's slightly sleazy brother is ever-present as the magazine's photographer. And they throw in a bit of hunky romantic interest for Gloria in the mix. We also get to meet a chap in a wheelchair, who sits at his bedroom window watching the neighbours through a telescope, and who witnesses a murder. Initially, I wondered if we were in for a rear window homage, but then, I don't think James Stewart was leering at naked ladies by the pool next door. Nor did his character phone them, saying, If I told you I was playing with it, would you come over and help me? Yes, this lad is undeniably a creepy sex pest, which, strangely, seems to get forgotten later in the film, in one oddly sentimental scene. Bavi uses his father's and Dario Argento's trademark red-blue colour filters to a dramatic effect, especially in the lead-up to the killings. He delivers a final act stuffed with more baffling twists and turns than a plateful of tagliatelli, and throws more boobs at us than you can shake a stick at. Or shake your own stick at if you're so inclined. Add a bit of bad dubbing and this could easily be mistaken for your typical giallo movie. But this is the only one I can think of where the killer's point of view features a woman walking around with a giant eyeball for a head. No, that's not an exaggeration. Having said that, the eyeball does have a mouth. I mean, come on, you wouldn't want it to look unrealistic or anything. And we have a woman in the shower with a giant insect head too, like seeing Vincent Price in The Fly, but with big boobs. I'm not entirely sure why the killer sees things this way, but who cares? It all adds to the surreal fun of this bonkers little thriller. My favourite scene is the wonderfully cheesy glamour shoot. Featuring a smoke machine and sexy mummies, and no I don't mean the MILF kind, we're talking the ancient bandaged kind. But it's not all campy silliness. The cinematography is good, the acting overall isn't bad, and there are times where things are surprisingly tense. Take the scene in the empty department store for example, which is well handled and really suspenseful. As an aside, Italian horror movie lovers might spot Argento regular Daria Nicolodi, George Eastman, the lead from Anthropophagus and Absurd, and at least a couple of actors from Barva's earlier Demons and Demons 2. Among the twists at the end, we get a creepy big reveal, which you probably will have worked out by the time you get there. There's a lot less gore than you'd normally expect in this kind of film. The pace is a bit slower, and the body count is relatively low. But... I had a lot of fun watching this, and I certainly think Giallo fans should have a look if they haven't already. The Trilogy of Terror podcast, where we try three times harder to give you the willies. Well, it's something to aim for anyway. Thank you, Amanda, for that little reminder, and I do hope the sore throat clears up soon. Anyway, enough of what I think... I've done my bit now, so I can now relax, pour a cocktail, and get out my maracas. While we listen to what you had to say,
1: there may be spoilers ahead. Hello, Borblani. This is Myron from the Ancient Slumber podcast. Hope you're doing well. Finally, I get to return the favour for all your nice feedback. Two movies on this agenda, both by Umberto Baba. The first one is Demons. I absolutely love Demons crazy movie about everybody turning into demons, and a few folks who aren't battle them to some end. Not a big end, because there's a the demons too. I'm sure you've rinsed these to death, but I will say I love the acting, the demons are great, practical effects are great. But my two favorite scenes are, in the beginning we get the great Bobby Rhodes and his pose, for lack of a better word. Apologies to everyone out there for language. But I just love the way Bobby Rhodes just comes off in that white suit, talks to him. I mean, it's just great fun. The other scene is demons are breaking into the movie theater, I believe. And someone gets the bright idea to get a motorcycle and a samurai sword. Drive around the movie theater on a motorcycle, swinging a samurai sword, laying waste to every demon in sight. I mean, how much more crazy can you can get than that? Not much, to be quite honest. We're gonna to go to those levels of crazy. We need to get to things like Frank Henenlotter or Reanimator, Bride of Reanimator type of stuff. Just, it's a great fun movie. It's well acted, well done, great special effects, great story, great pacing. Really, really a good movie. Um, let's move to the next one, which is, you know, this game is gonna kill me for Delirium, photo of, or photos of, Iowa? I don't know. Some cute Italian girl. Anyways, uh, pretty much a straightforward Jallo type slasher to me, anyways. Lots of models, lots of models getting killed. There's numerous subplots, of, you know, revolved around the models. Um, this one is certainly not as good as Demons to me. The acting's off a bit. Plot's alright. The pacing is a little slow for me. Um, but. You know, overall, I mean, it's a straightforward slasher of the times, also done by Bava. It's what you'd expect. It's almost what you want from that kind of slasher. Probably is not going to make top tier, but certainly it's a reasonable uh, mid tier type of slasher. Two great choices. I know you've thoroughly talked about the plot and dissected it, but I just thought I would leave you a little bit of feedback on, you know, I like Demons a lot more than Delirium, but Delirium is not a bad movie. I just preferred demons more. Hey, it had Bobby Rhodes in it. What can we expect? Anyway, Gore, talk to you soon. Myron out.
2: Hi there, Gore Blimey. Uh, it's Andy Roberts. Uh, congrats on the new podcast. So here's my feedback for the Lamberto Bava movies you're doing this week. So we'll start with Demons. Really effective opening in the train station, and a really simple setup for what's clearly going to be a fun horror movie. The characters and the plot are almost self-referential to the horror genre, and the Demons themselves are a treat to behold. Almost similar in style to the Belgian film Rabid Grannies, our victims grow claws, long fangs, and have pustule eruptions until they become murderous monsters. We get a veritable treat of gore with eye gougings, throat rippings, scalpings, bloody stranglings, sword slashings, rotor blade injuries, and eyes being staked on rebar. Some funny quotes of note, whores, you can tell them a mile away. And, Cheryl, if I have a heart attack, it's your fault. A particularly sleazy scene involves a thug scraping cocaine off his female companion's breasts, only to cut her a smidgen. The pacing's really good, it's never boring, and there's quite a few interesting faces in it. Michelle Sauvie plays the masked man and a character in the movie showing at the Metropole. Uh, Garetta Garetta from Bruno Matai's Rat's Night of Terror and Shocking Dark plays the first hooker to change into a demon. Fabiola Toledo, from Balva's later Giallo, A Blade in the Dark, plays the second Hooker's transform. And Giovanni Fretzi from Fulci's House by the Cemetery and Sweet House of Horrors, as well as A Blade in the Dark, also makes an appearance at the end. I really enjoyed this one, it was a roller coaster of a movie and it wasn't even a little bit boring. The scene of the cocaine being scraped off breasts was cut by the BBFC, I think, uh, back in the day for the blood on the breasts policy. The cut's been waived today. Uh, another little note, as an avid survival horror gamer, in the first Silent Hill game, the Metropole Theatre is actually featured as a visitable location as a homage. Anyway, onto Macabre. Bernice Stegers from Uh Extro stars as Jane, who has an affair with Fred, her lover, He's decapitated in a car accident, and her son is drowned by her creepy daughter, all in the same day. Blind landlord Robert is played by Stanko Molnar, who was also in A Blade in the Dark. After Jane's tragedy, she recovers in a mental institution and returns to the apartment, making love loudly with a mysterious visitor. The pacing gets a little in the way here, as actually not much happens until the last quarter of the movie. Standout scenes are Jane practising greeting her ex-husband. Hello, Leslie! Jane, helping Robert make his bed, whilst seductive jazzy Saxon music plays in the background. It's not too much of a shock when we discover Fred's severed head in the freezer, but after this is revealed, it ramps up significantly in pace and action. The snotty daughter prepares a meal using Fred's lobe to taunt her mother, and then reveals that she killed her brother, which sends Jane over the edge completely. She drowns her daughter, knocks Robert out, and settles down for one last rendezvous, which gives a whole new meaning to giving head. It's pretty gross to witness the necrophilia, but it thankfully wasn't too explicit. Jane has her face burnt off during a struggle with Robert, and he's killed when Fred's head reanimates and bites his throat, which was totally out of sync with the rest of the movie. It was a slow burner, but I quite liked it, despite its lack of explicit violence. It was infamous for its spoiler of a video cover back in the era of the nasties, which ruined the main twist of the film, and it was frequently seized by police, even though it was neither on the Lasty list or the related Section 3 list. So Lasty we have Delirium, Darian Nicolodi of Argento fame stars in this as well as Serena Grandi and George Eastman from Anthropophagus. Robert Brandon from Michelle Soavi's stage fright and Lino Salem and Carl Zinni who are both in demons So in this giallo the killer's perspective is quite unique. It has a throbbing red saturation and the uh, Victims heads become surreal including a wasps head and a giant eyeball Our first victim gets a pitchfork through and the second victim gets a swarm of bees stinging her to death The paraplegic mark is massively inappropriate and seems only to serve to annoy giving us slimy sleazy quips like you make my member throb with desire, and I want to penetrate your flower until it explodes. Apart from a very tense chase sequence in a shopping center, most of the film feels a bit ploddy in the same way as a soap opera. The final reveal of the killer was a bit silly, although suitably sleazy in keeping with the film so far. It's a shame as well that most of the violence is lacking in blood, and there's only two surreal stalking sequences, as it makes this a bit of a vanilla and a tame yellow movie. I enjoyed it nonetheless for its weirdness and sleaziness.
0: Many thanks there to Andy Roberts and before him we heard Myron from the fantastic Ancient Slumber podcast. Thank you. Uh, I've also had written feedback from Myron's co-host Chris. It says, Hey Gore, Congratulations on launching a podcast, always a pleasure to hear your musings on the cinematic gems we hold so dear, and what better way to start than with the Lamberto Bava trilogy, especially the splattertastic masterpiece that is Demons. As pure a horror film as it is possible to get, this has been a constant in my life since I first saw it on a VHS rental back in 1986. I actually own it on no less than six different editions across three formats. The gore is brilliantly gloopy, the soundtrack gloriously 80s and Bobby Rhodes as Tony the Pimp is one of the greatest B-movie characters you'll ever see. Myron and I covered it and the sequel on our first podcast so you can hear me gushing about it there but I'm sure you'll give the film its proper coverage. As for the other two films you're covering I haven't seen Delirium but I have seen Macabre I own the Arrow Video DVD, but rather unhelpfully, I haven't watched it for about 4 years and don't remember that much about it. Although the cover artwork gives away the biggest plot detail. As for Barver Jr's other films, I have seen Demons 3 The Ogre, which could be the most boring horror film ever made, and Graveyard Disturbance, which is also pretty bad. However, he does redeem himself slightly with The Majesty of Demons 2, which is not quite as mental as its predecessor, but still a riot nevertheless. Anyway, good luck with the show, and I look forward to hearing what other films you're going to be putting into a trilogy for dissection. Thanks Chris, watch this space, or will be revealed at the end of this episode. And speaking of horror podcasts worth checking out, another one is the Strange and Deadly podcast, which casts its BDI over the nastiness, or more often than not, the sleaze and cheese, of the films of the old video nasties section three list. And I have some feedback from one of their hosts, which says, Hello, Mr. Blimey. Chris Clayton here, one of the hosts on The Strange and Deadly Show. You've been very kind to consistently send us feedback on the films we cover, and I feel it's only fair to come in and support you as you voyage into the depths of podcasting. I know you've wanted this for a long while, and I've been very excited to see it all come together. Trilogy of Terror is now here, and the world of podcasting is all the better for it. Well, thank you, Chris. I really hope I don't disappoint now. So, you're covering a couple of Lamberto Barber classics. I don't think Lamberto ever really got to a level of quality consistent with his father, who I genuinely think is a genius, but he made a bunch of good movies nonetheless. I think his best is Demons, although oddly I was introduced to that universe via the sequel. I was a kid and we picked the film up at a cheap pound store, along with a martial arts film that always had horrible noise on the picture, no matter how many copies of it we tried. Demons 2 has a couple of creepy, though in retrospect silly, scenes at the beginning and I was terrified of it. I vowed never to watch it because it was so scary and thus I stayed away from Demons 2 and its predecessor until I was a teenager. Being a huge horror fan by the time I was in my teens, and being a big admirer of Italian horror too, I was primed and ready for a proper foray into Demons. It's easily the better of the two films. We're not counting Demons 3, which was a Demons film in name only. And it has a fine blend of wackiness, genuine scares and some cool gore effects. I can even see the Argento influence, which makes sense as he co-wrote the film. I think what I love in a film like this is that feeling of fun. You know it's a serious story, but you're not really meant to take it seriously. The idea of being stuck in a movie theatre appeals to me too. I was also able to see the sequel soon after the first and, of course, found it ridiculous and not as good as the first. Why was I so scared of it as a kid? I haven't seen Delirium or Macabre in many years, though I do own them both. I remember quite liking Macabre. It's a creepy, strange little film and I remember it being quite morbid. Bernice Stegers, the lead character in Macabre, is also an extro. one of the films we covered on our show. Delirium I remember as a giallo, and I don't remember being terribly fond of it. I think Barber's best giallo is probably A Blade in the Dark, although he never really bettered what his father did in this subgenre of horror. And finally, I have some feedback from both Amanda and Dan from the Made For TV Mayhem podcast. They celebrate those scary movies, thrillers and other Made For TV goodness from the 70s and 80s, which is a lot of fun and certainly worth checking out. And here's what Amanda had to say. Hey there, go Blimey! I'm so excited you've taken the leap into podcasting because I really enjoy your feedback on The Strange and Deadly Show as well as your Twitter feed in general. You have a very interesting and often humorous take on horror so this should be a great listen. Um, thank you, Amanda. It's a nice thing to say. Okay, on to business. I was only able to revisit Delirium, but I'd like to briefly touch on all three films. I'm a huge Lamberto Bava fan. I'm not saying it's all hit and no misses, but he has an interesting style, and even when his films are convoluted, as they often are, they're also stylish and almost always intriguing. I believe my first introduction to him was Macabre, which I rented on a whim back in the 90s when I was looking for anything and everything horror-related. I probably rented it with something like Pieces or Memorial Valley Massacre. Those were the days. Anyway. I really liked it. Its gothic underpinnings and themes of despair, grief and madness are fascinating, as well as well played, despite the super awkward dubbing. And he somehow managed to make a movie about a woman who keeps a lover's head in a freezer and has sex with it. That doesn't cross the line into the offensive. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's rather restrained despite the material and themes, capitalising instead on mood and settings, if overlooking logic and reason. But isn't that why we love Italian horror? By the way, is Macabre really based on a true story? Demons is one of those films that is hard for me to talk about because I already feel like it's been said a thousand times. It's one of the ultimate popcorn thrillers of the 80s, complete with Billy Idol rocking the soundtrack. It's got a great build-up and goes off the charts in all the right ways. A splendid discovery back in the days of discovery. Demons 2 is splendid as well. Having not seen Delirium in some time, I was surprised at how much I liked it. The first time was at a Models in Peril party, not joking, which I put together for some friends, and this was a bit of a blind watch for us. Most of us lost interest around the part where Gloria goes to the mall, and I don't remember the end at all. However, for this go round, it was just me and a glass of wine maybe I needed to, you know, actually pay attention to the film, because while it's not like the best mystery ever or anything, it is still an enticing watch, and the sets are just fabulously 80s. Is it me, or were the shoulder pads almost as big as the breasts? Also, how did I forget George Eastman, aka Luigi Montefiore, was in Delirium, because, oh, George Eastman. And finally, years later, I got to see Bava speak at a screening for Kidnapped, also starring Luigi. OMG, Luigi. Good grief, Amanda. And he seemed very genuine, kind and sweet. I just think Barva just loves making movies, and even though his work is often met with mixed reviews, I believe his father would be proud of his overall filmography. Nothing but love from me. Okay, that was long. Sorry. Best of luck with this new podcast, waiting patiently. And last but by no means least, here's what her co-host Dan had to say. I wanted to start off by saying I always preferred Lamberto Bava's films to his father's. Mario Bava is a classic horror filmmaker that a lot of people adore, however... I find his films, while certainly beautiful looking, leave me a bit cold. Lamberto seems to be having more fun. I can certainly feel that fun in Demons and Delirium. I saw Demons 2 before Demons back in 1988-ish. I actually like it a little bit more than Demons, but Demons is certainly a hell of a good time. It's nicely paced, it's hilariously gory, it's hilariously hilarious. I love those goofy punks in their car with all their cocaine. I like the pimp taking charge. I love the image of the couple on the motorcycle with the sword slashing Demons, and then that helicopter drops through the ceiling. Watching that with a bunch of people, I found that that was the moment where people either continue with the movie or throw up their hands in utter confusion or contempt. Me, I loved it. Plus, I find that I actually like the heavy metal music playing during demon attack scenes more now than in the past. There's something about the buzzing noise of the songs during the chaos that makes things more chaotic. Plus, the fact that Barva goes all meta on us and starts the closing credits, then throws in one last sting when we think the heroes are riding away to safety, because they should be safe when the closing credits start rolling. Great, great stuff. I had never seen Delirium until now. It's as goofy as Demons and Demons 2. I enjoy a good giallo. This is a goofy good giallo, with several really beautiful women in it, and a nicely convoluted plot. I enjoyed the heck out of it. The pervy kid peeping on the leading lady reminded me a lot of myself in my childhood. Um, Right. I will say that I did get a bit lost in relation to who all the characters were exactly. When the killer is revealed, I thought that he or she was someone else and then that someone else showed up and I thought, wait, who is the killer? I guess I wasn't paying as much attention as I thought. I need to see more of Lamberto's films because these two remind me of how screwball surreal he could get. Viva Lamberto! Thank you Dan and Amanda! Well, that's all for this episode, my first ever attempt at podcasting. I really hope you enjoyed it, and please do feel free to send me feedback. Next month, the director will be the godfather of Gore himself, king of the splatter movies, Herschel Gordon Lewis, and the films I'll be covering will be Blood Feast from 1963, 2000 Maniacs from 64, and The Wizard of Gore from 1970. If you'd like to join in and share your thoughts on any of those, you can email me or send audio file to trilogypodcast at gmail.com or tweet me at IamGoreBlimey. And don't forget the Facebook page where you'll find a mini-episode all about Lamberto Barber's Demons 2. Finally, before I sign off, special thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for the music, the Show Must Be Go and Casa Bossa Nova, to Gentlemen's Grindhouse Records for your support and for giving this show a home, to those people who sent in their thoughts and feedback, and most importantly, thank you, yes, you, for listening. Hope you'll join me again next month. Until then, bye.
2: Don't forget to visit and like the Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter at IamGoreBlimey. Or email us at
1: TrilogyPodcast at gmail.com